Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Let's pull it all together tonight. And after we pull it all together, everything we've been talking about, everything that we've been learning, I'll be straight up with you. At the end of this evening, I am going to ask you to publicly, in front of everyone, stand and say, I give up control of my life, and I give God control. I won't force you to do that. If you say, I don't want that, I want control, or I want someone else to be in control, you can stay seated. But I'm just telling you what's coming. At the end of tonight, after we go through all of this, if there's never been a point in your life where you have surrendered the control of your life and said, God, I can't do this. I don't, I don't want to control it because I don't know how. You see, that's what faith is, is when we surrender the control, we say, I can't do it, but God, I'm going to trust you. I don't even understand everything you're doing. A lot of stuff in my life doesn't make sense, but I'm going to give you my life. I surrender control. You ever hear people call Jesus Lord? Or they'll say, dear Lord Jesus. Do you realize that that word Lord means something? Those are people making a statement. You're declaring something. You're saying, I'm no longer Lord. I'm no longer leader. I've given that over to him. He's my Lord. He's my leader. There's a big decision tonight. Life-changing decision, eternity-changing decision. Some of you have already done that. Some of you, it was a couple years ago at camp. It was a similar night. You heard the gospel. God worked in your heart, and you made that decision. You said, man, I give God my life. And you know it ain't been easy since then. You know you haven't been a perfect Christian. You know sometimes you even wonder if you are a Christian. You go through doubts and fears. You're ashamed of some of the stuff since you did last summer when you were here. Some of you already told me that. So am I. So am I. So am I ashamed of some of the things I've done since last summer. I don't have it all together. That's not the speaker you got. The good news is I don't have to have it all together. I'm not declaring to you, follow Jason George. I'm not saying me. I'm not offering religion. I'm not offering a denomination, Catholic, Presbyterian, Baptist. I'm not asking for your money. This is about a free gift that God has for all of us through his son, Jesus Christ. We need to make sense of this tonight. We need to pull this together. There's so much confusion about this guy, Jesus. We're going to make it clear tonight. We're going to bring it all down, and then you've got a clear-cut decision to make. Nobody's going to force you. Nobody's going to manipulate you. Nobody's going to push you to do that. But if God is working in your heart, and I think he's been working in the hearts of a lot of you, even through the music, the dramas, things like that, the small group time here at camp, respond to God. Why would you not? It's when we do life without God that there's chaos. Chaos. We don't know what we're doing. 
in the beginning there was a God, or there is God. We talked about that. We talked about who he is. We talked about the creation, how in the beginning it all started all good. It was perfect. Everything that he made was in perfect harmony and unity. There was no chaos. This is the world that we're longing for back in Eden, the original creation. We long for that world. It's in our hearts. Take me there. Everything's perfect harmony. I don't have to fear. I don't got to deal with pain. There's nothing wrong with my body. There's nothing wrong with the relationships. There's nothing wrong with family. The world, the planet, everything is perfect. Take me there. We long for that. But we lost that. This is our story. This is the true story of humanity. You were not a monkey. It isn't just some big cosmic bang and this is all chance. Think. Don't just drink the Kool-Aid that your public school has given you. Think. Use your mind. Some of you in your heart right now, deep down, you know there's a God. Look around. Look at his creation. Look at the design. This is random chance. No way. We lost Eden because of Adam and Eve's decision. The deceiver came. He told lies. He tempted them. He said, you can be like God. You can have the control. And they bit it, hook, line, and sinker. They took the bait. And it had serious consequences for them. And it had serious consequences for all of us. We went through those last night. It caused separation between us and God. We don't come into this world as children of God. God is distant from us. Why? Because of sin in our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says our heart is desperately wicked. we got sinful hearts. That's why we sin. You sin because it's in you. You have a sin nature. A dog barks because he's a dog. We don't look at a dog and go, dang, did you hear that bark? He's a dog now. He barked because he's a dog. That's what dogs do. We sin because we're born infected with sin. It comes so natural for all of us. We're all pros at it. We're experts. We're so good at it. I'm not saying you're a serial killer. But we all got issues, man. Let's all admit it. So do I. I'm still working through my issues as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. Do you know that every week I don't just go to church um, because... Oh, I should go. Or, oh, I'm a leader. I'm not a leader at my church. I go because I need that to help me through my issues. Young men, do you know that every single week I go to a recovery group for my addiction problem to help me not fall back into that addiction? What addiction? I told you guys. I got extremely addicted to pornography. It was my drug of choice. I've tried other stuff, but that was the main thing that hooked into me. It was in my home as a kid. It was everywhere. My stepbrothers had it. I was messed with sexually. I was exposed to things way too early. I saw sexual things in my house that I should have never seen. It messed with me. It twisted me. 
You learn to go to certain things as coping mechanisms. Before some of you look down on me for that, think about the things that you go to to cope with. There are some of you in this week, here this week, before you came here, you got high. I don't, I'm not judging you. You did. You got high. Some of you, before you came here, you cut. Some of you got drunk last weekend. Some of you got in a fight or you hurt somebody. There's so many ways we cope because the chaos is within us. We have issues. And then guess what happens? We start becoming part of the chaos, bringing more chaos through our lives. This is what's happened to us, man. We're infected. And then the big thing about sin is I told you that it brings death. Human beings were never meant to die. We're meant to be immortal. You know that we long for that too, y'all. Think about the books, the stories that we love, the movies that we love. Immortality is a theme in a lot of them. And guess what, man? They become bestsellers or they become blockbusters. I remember a couple years ago, my wife got into that whole Twilight series. She made me sit down and watch it with her. I was like, what the heck is going on with this thing, man? What's this dude always showing up with his shirt off? It's freezing up there in the northwest. Put a shirt on, Jacob. And Edward, he needs a tan. What's going on with that boy? Jumping tree to tree. But it was pretty cool in some ways. But there's a theme in there of immortality, living forever. There's something that draws us to that, man. But what do we deal with here? We deal with death. People die. Some of you, you've already dealt with that. I told you I've dealt with it. Family members, friends, students in my youth ministry. Christina Grimmie was only one of the students in my youth ministry that died. I could tell you about Aaron Patterson, nine brain surgeries, all successful, comes home, everybody's excited, she's at the dinner table, says, mom, my legs are still hurting for a couple days. Her mom says, it'll be okay, it'll be okay, finish your dinner, and she fell over on her plate, and she died right there because she didn't realize after all those brain surgeries and being immobile for so long, she had developed a blood clot in her leg and a shot and went right up into her brain and killed her. I flew out to California to preach her funeral, try to make sense of some things. I told you about the story of the girl coming back from Ocean City uh, Beach Week, head on with a tractor trailer. She was in the car with Dustin, who was a student in my youth ministry, who was a wrestler at Westlake High School. She got tired, asked Dustin if he would drive. It was late. He started driving. He got tired. He fell asleep at the wheel, and he crossed over and went head on with the tractor trailer. I've seen lots of death, man. It's June, last June. Do you know what I was doing? I was in a veteran's home, a VA home, in Charlotte Hall in Southern Maryland. I was holding my dad's hand, and I was stroking his head as he breathed his last breaths. I watched as he breathed that very last breath. I watched the breathing go from eight-second intervals between breaths 
to 20 second intervals, 30. I got tears in my eyes and I said, this is it. And I watched him fade. You say, man, your dad dissed you, man. You, you, you said he walked out on you. All that stuff that your stepmom did to you and your stepbrothers, he didn't, he didn't step up. He didn't do anything. He wasn't a real man. He didn't help you out. Yep. And guess what? I spent 20 years angry and hating the man and didn't want anything to do with him. And guess who suffered for it? Because I brought that hate into my marriage and my kids. So I had to do, because I'm a Jesus follower, I chose to say, I'm not in control. What do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to do to your dad the same thing I did to you. And it didn't know. I'm not telling you all that you need to go home and forgive immediately. Forgiveness is a process if you've really been hurt. But I forgave my dad. And as he was dying, I had already told him this when he was conscious way earlier. But as he was dying, I held his hands and I had tears in my eyes. And I said, Dad, I want to tell you one more time. I forgive you. You're forgiven. It's okay, Dad. I did that for me. You know how good that felt? Well, man, I've seen death. That's my point. We're all going to die. This, these are the consequences of sin. You guys need to hear this. You know why? Because it's the worst news ever. Seriously. Like, nobody wants to have a cupcake right now as we talk about this. Well, maybe some of you. <laughs> no, you know, nobody wants to, like, you know, let, let's make popcorn right now as we talk about this. Th this is, like, heavy there's bad news, and then there's the worst news in the universe, and you just got it. Because you're going to die, and one day you're going to stand before God. And I can tell you this, the Bible says, those who reject God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, they will go to a place of torment, and they're going to pay for their sins. And this drives me nuts, because you don't have to. I want every young person in America to know you don't have to die and go to hell. That's why I'm here. You don't have to. And guess what? You get to hear it from a guy who's got every reason to say, F you, God, I don't want you in my life. F Christianity. F church. F all of it, man. Put my middle finger up at all of them. Do you know that every person that abused me, the physical abuse, the choking, the hits, the sexual abuse against my will, the verbal abuse, the put-downs, every person that did it, guess what they claim to be? What do you think? A Christian. Every one of them went to church every Sunday. So I had every reason to just say, F, F all of it, I don't want any of it, forget it bunch of hypocrites, blah, blah, blah. But this one day, I was living with my brother, and he helped me get into a private school because he didn't want me going to the public school that I was at because it was pretty rough. We were living right outside of D.C., and uh, I was getting in some trouble in eighth grade. I got in some fights. I got suspended. It was rough. I was the minority at the school. That didn't mean that every black person didn't like me, but there were a lot that didn't. But I made some really good friends that were black, and I'm thankful. And I still have a lot of black friends, and I'm thankful. 
It was funny, even when I was getting in fights, I had a couple black friends that took up for me and were like, leave him alone. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm living with my brother. He says, I want you to go to this private school. I'm at this private school, and to make a long story short, I laughed at everything at this private school that had to do with God. I'd go to Bible class, and I'd make fun of it. We'd have chapel once a week, and we'd do singing like y'all just did. And the, the, the worship leader would do the same thing. Man, do you guys feel God? If you feel God right now, let's lift our hands. And you know what I would do? I would do it to mock God. Yeah, let's lift our hands. Some of my friends would be like, man, cut it out, dude. You crazy. The teachers would just shake their heads. But the teachers at that school knew my story. They knew my background. They knew that my two brothers were paying to put me in that school. They knew that I was living with my brother because my dad had walked out on me. My mom had died. Teachers in that school have been praying for me all through ninth grade, 10th grade, into 11th grade. So this one day in chapel in 11th grade, I'm just sitting there. I could care less about the singing. I could care less who was going to teach or preach. What are you going to do? You're going to tell me the Jesus story again. Jesus was a perfect man. Jesus did miracles. Jesus loved people. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. I heard it all. I said the prayer when I was a little kid, Jesus, jump in my heart. And then I did it probably 3,000 times after that. It meant nothing to me. It never changed my life. It was just something I did. I thought that if I just asked Jesus in my heart, did Jesus come in my heart? That that was my ticket out of hell and I could live any way I wanted. I never changed and God never changed me. That's the thing. There was nothing. I was getting worse and worse. My addictions were getting worse and worse. I was violent. I would fight. Man, I had, I had really dark desires. Pornography was taking me further than I ever wanted to go. That's what sin does. Say, oh, I'm just going to go a little bit. Some of you experience that even with drugs. This is all I'm going to do. This is all I'm going to do, man. A little bit of fun. All right, man, I ain't, I ain't doing that next party. A couple months later, you ain't just doing it. You deal. You deal. You deal now. I've seen pornography mess guys so much up that they, they take it in their relationship with girlfriends and other girls. And what they see on the screen, they begin to try to act out and do, and some of it's violent. I was twisted. I was messed up. There's things that was going on in my head and desires that I'm too embarrassed to admit. In that chapel service that day, a man by the name of Rick Gage got up, and he was speaking. And he started sharing the gospel about what Jesus did. And he got my attention because he wasn't like the normal speakers. He was really in shape. He was kind of built. I heard he was a, a former college football coach. He was wearing this uh, tight polo shirt, and his pecs were just popping. Like, I'm serious. Like, if he flexed one of them, he could have punched me right in the face. <laughs> I was like, who is who's this guy they got this week? We never get guys like that. And I know it's not good to look at the outward, but that's how it was. I was like, man, who is this guy? And I tell you what, when he opened his mouth and he opened this book, you could tell he believed it. And he started bringing it. And man, he stepped on our toes at our Christian school. He said, man, most of you in here, you're a bunch of fakes. You're a bunch of phonies. He said, you got Christian on your, your uniform that you go to this Christian school. It's in your name. Some of you got a cross 
on your shirt or you're wearing a cross around your neck. But there's nothing in your life that shows that you belong to God, that you rep God. Some of you are just fakes. You know about Jesus. You want to take it out of hell, but you don't want to surrender your life. You don't want to make him Lord of your life. You don't want to repent and turn from your sins. Man, he was taught. Listen, nobody talked to us like that. Everybody was just kind of goo goo go gaga with the gospel. Ask Jesus in your heart, boys and girls. This guy was bringing it. He was really confronting us. Do you have real Christianity? Do you have the real Jesus living in you? And you know what he said? He said what I'm going to say tonight, man. He reminded us. He said, Jesus is a real person. 2,000 years ago, he lived Jesus of Nazareth. It's not just stated in the Bible. There are extra biblical sources, historical books that talk about this man, that did the things he did. And yes, that he died on a cross. And when he died on the cross, he had every opportunity to get out of it. But he goes willingly. He could have put everybody in their place, but he doesn't. And because he's the son of God, he's, he's a man, but he's God. He's the God man. At any time, he had the power to command all the legions of angels from heaven and rescue him at that moment and said, you will not touch me. He had that power. He could have annihilated the, this guy, Pontius Pilate, that was giving him you know, the death sentence. All those religious leaders that were like, crucify him, crucify him. He could have spoken the word. Man, he could have looked at him and killed him. Because he's the ultimate power. He's God in human form. That's Jesus. And when he died, he felt everything just like we would. Those nails pierced his hands. He felt it. He hurt. He screamed. He moaned. They pierced his feet. They hung him on the cross to just die till he gasped his last breath. And every time, like I've researched this, man, like when he was on the cross, the way he really died is not that he bled out. He died of something that's called asphyxiation. Because when he's on the cross, he's, he's literally with nails in his wrist and his, his feet. He has to pull himself up to catch a breath. <gasps> and then he comes back down. And there comes a point where you can't do that anymore. And something happened inside of him, like with, it, with his heart, where things burst. And we know this because when they shoved the spear up in him to make sure he was dead... And the spear came out. It says that blood and water flowed. Medical doctors say that that means something. That means Jesus literally died of a broken heart. His heart ruptured. Because there's something called the pericardial sac or something like that. I'm not a doctor and I'm trying to remember. I've got the best memory right now with this Lyme disease thing. But this thing ruptured. So when he bled out, this is in the Bible. He bled. It says that the, the disciples witnessed. Blood and water flowed. And why did they put the spear in him? To make sure he was dead. Completely dead. Jesus literally died of a ruptured heart. He is there willingly for you and for me. Why? Because I told you, one of the characteristics about God is God is a just God. He must punish sin. But God says in John 3, 16... I so love the world that I give my only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I send my son to die for you, to take the punishment for you. All of your sins, everything you've done and that you will do, 
Jesus was there on the cross taking the punishment for it. Theologians call it the substitutionary atonement. That means Jesus' substitute takes your place. He's like, look, you don't want to take the punishment for your sins in hell. And I don't want you to. So I'm coming on the cross to take it for you. Now listen to me, young people. This gets kind of deep, but you need to hear it. You can handle it. Some people say, man, don't go too deep with them. Don't go too deep with the campers. Shut up. The Bible says there was a moment on the cross where everything, in the middle of the day, I think it was like 3 p.m., it went black. Darkness covered. And that moment said that the Father in heaven turned his back on the Son. This has never happened throughout all of eternity. The Father and the Son have always been tight and united. But the Father has to separate from the Son and turn away from the Son. Why? Because the Bible says that in that moment, Jesus took upon himself all of our sins. He took our sins. In a spiritual sense, what the Father saw Jesus holding was the sins of the world. And the Father, the Holy Father, had to turn away. Some of you that know your Bible, you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus went to the cross, he was agonizing. He was agonizing to the point that he was sweating so bad that drops of blood were coming through his pores. He was agonizing. And some people have said, like, man, I think he was really scared about having to get those nails through his hand and have to go through that. No, man, that was not what Jesus agonized over. What Jesus agonized over was not nails. Are you kidding He did not agonize or fear a spear or somebody pulling out his beard, which they did. He didn't agonize over a crown of thorns that they mashed down on his head that were the size of your fingers, those thorns. I've studied all this, New Testament backgrounds, undergraduate. They mashed that down on him. He didn't fear that. The thing that Jesus was agonizing over is he would be separated from the Father. That's why in the Bible it says that he, he, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He forsook Jesus because Jesus had our sin on him. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. Teenagers. You can either take the punishment for your sin in hell after you die, or you can put your faith in Jesus Christ and say, I let him take it for me. That's it. That's the exchange. This is the either or. It's not multiple choice. It's either or. It's a crossroad. It's not a four-way stop. Do I say... Forget you, Jesus. I don't want what you're offering. I don't want your salvation. I don't want eternal life. I don't want forgiveness. I don't want you to come in me. I don't want God as my father. I don't want you to come and just begin to make me into a new person. All that stuff, I don't want that. I'm going to do my own thing. You can do that. You can attempt to have complete control over your life. You can do what you see all these people do on YouTube and on TV and the magazines and all this other junk. You can do everything the dudes at school are doing and what the girls are doing. You can go your own way. And there's going to be pleasure. It's going to feel good for a while. 
Otherwise, we wouldn't be attracted to it. But I promise you this, the Bible says it ends in destruction. Because you have rejected the creator of the universe who loves you unconditionally. And unlike many of our parents, he doesn't just say he loves us. He gives his own son. He says, I give you my son. I don't even got to say it, dude. He's like Romans 5, 8. I demonstrated my love towards you. Look at what my son did. Some of you have no idea what that kind of love is because you've never had a child yet. You've never had a son or a daughter. Wait till you do. Young men, I know you think of this as far away. Wait till you have a son and you're the dad. Wait till somebody touches and messes with him. Young ladies, some of you that think you're all nice and cute and you're all, I, I, I love people. Wait till someone messes with your kid. You're going to be like, I didn't even know that was in me. I remember when my son Noah was about seven years old, his teeth weren't coming out in the front. His two front teeth, they weren't coming out. It was time for him to come out. He has something wrong with him. The dentist said, it's going to be really hard, but uh, these teeth are in there. They're not loose. The roots are up in there. The roots are healthy. I have to yank them out for the new ones to come in. I said, man, well, you know, we got to numb him. He goes, we're going to try to numb him. You got to help me hold him down to put needles up in his gums. He moves so much. I don't even know if we were able to get the numbing in there the right way. And he screamed and he cried, Daddy, no. Daddy, make him stop. Dad, Daddy, no, Dad. He didn't understand. I was weeping, weeping in the dentist's office. My wife had to leave the room. She couldn't even deal with it. I looked at the doctor. I said, I don't know if you've got it in there. Pull him. Pull him now. Get it over with. And he pulled him, and that boy screamed like death. Just yanked his teeth out. Why? This was the best thing for him. He had to have it done. Dude, we got done. He got it together. We went and got him a toy. He calmed down. He was in a better place. I had to leave, and I just, I just like, fell apart. It's not just with my son. I can remember my daughter, my oldest daughter, man. She's always been real strong-willed like some of you girls. She's got that attitude. She got mad at her mom one day. She was like eight years old. Mom wouldn't let her do something. I don't know, use the blow dryer or something. She was like, well, whatever. And she went like this to slam the bathroom door. Mom was in the bathroom to slam it and make a point. And she didn't realize that she was coming around. She had her hand in the hinges. Her fingers were in the hinges. And she was just like, whatever. And she slammed it. And I was in the bedroom. And I was about to come out and yell at her because I'm like, you don't slam doors like that in our house. And then I heard the scream the blood-curdling scream that you know it's bad. Blood splattered the wall. I'm going, oh, my gosh. My wife, she's not good in a panic situation. I'm like, shh, you're going to make it worse. And I... I, I, I <laughs> I take, I take my daughter Autumn, and she goes, my hand, my hand. I immediately took a towel, and I wrapped it because I knew something was cut off. I knew it was. And I took her over to the sink, and I rinsed it under the sink. 
and, and all of a sudden, I see that her pinky finger, she had completely sliced the end of it off. And I couldn't find, I couldn't find the finger. And my wife goes, I had it wrapped up, and I could see the bone that was, that was there. I looked at it real quick, and I told my daughter, I said, it's okay. You just cut it really bad. You cut it really bad. It's okay. Dad's here. And I said, we're fine. I said, Dad's going to take you to the doctor. I'm really good in a crisis until it's over. I'm, I'm not bragging, but I really am. But about as soon as it's over, call the psychiatrist. <laughs> if you have meds, bring them. <laughs> we'll share them. You're like, dude, we ain't supposed to do that. <laughs> You're right. Um, I tell my wife, I said, you need to look around. Be calm. Her finger's somewhere around here. Well, my wife immediately turned nauseous and white. And I'm just like, go to the kitchen. So I pick it up. I finally find the finger. I rinse it off. I knew to put it on ice in a little plastic baggie. How did I learn that? Because I used to be a camp counselor at a Christian camp. We had to take first aid and all that stuff. So I got it in there. I'm cool. And I rushed her to the hospital. And we get her there. And long story short, they, they helped her out. They fixed her up. But she has one pinky that's substantially shorter from the other. What's my point? Sometimes you hear, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus died for us. Jesus didn't get his pinky cut off. Jesus didn't get his two front teeth pulled out by a dentist that was half like numbed. Jesus died the most brutal death I've ever heard of. It was, the Romans mastered this form of execution called crucifixion. The whole time you're on his mind. I love them. I love broken, chaotic, out of control, selfish, perverted, violent, snobby, disrespectful human beings. I love them. I want them back. I'll take their punishment. And he's gasping, he's gasping, he's agonizing in pain. Let it sink in, man. Hashtag, true story. Seriously, hashtag, true story. This isn't legend. So the enemy, the devil, thinks he's dead. They bury Jesus, they put him in a tomb tomb of a rich man. Even the disciples kind of scattered. You know Peter, who became the apostle Peter? He went back to his, his old job fishing. He was like, man, this Jesus thing is over. They just killed him. This is crazy. I thought he was the Messiah. I thought he was the son of God. So a couple girls, females, young women, I should say, or women, they go to the tomb because they want to put some spices and smelly stuff on the body. That's what they did back then. After a couple of days, it would begin to smell, and they just wanted to do that out of respect. The tomb was open. The stone was rolled away. And check this out. They would wrap a person back then, almost mummify them with cloths, clothing, 
The Bible says when they walked in, the place where they laid them, it was like this stone place, like almost a stone bed. They laid the dead body wrapped up. The clothes, the grave clothes, had been folded up and put down. It's crazy. See, somebody was in that tomb, and on the third day, he got up. He said, these ain't my clothes no more. These clothes stink. He folded them up. He put them down, and he walked out. And they saw him, and they talked to him. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Some of the disciples doubted that it was him. Thomas That's my middle name. But Thomas, one of the disciples, I'm just like him sometimes. I'm a big skeptic, don't believe sometimes, critical thinker. Thomas said, I will will not believe that he rose from the dead until I see him and I can put my hands into the scars, the holes. I want to know. He has holes. I want to put my hand. Show me that it's not a fake or some ghost. And Jesus immediately showed up in that room almost like a ghost. It says that he just appeared. But here's the thing, when he appeared, he was not phantom Jesus, it was Jesus in the flesh, in this new glorified body, but he keeps the scars on purpose. And he looks at Thomas and he says, hey Thomas, stop doubting, believe, something you want to touch? You want to check something out? Thomas' response, he said he, he fell before him and he said, my Lord, my God, he knew, real deal. People question, like, how do you know the the resurrection of Jesus is real? The disciples were the ones that were just like, we're out of here. We don't want this. He died. The disciples were the ones that ended up seeing him. Do you know that the majority of the disciples, I think all but one, died a martyr's death? And all they had to do is say, okay, okay, we really didn't see him. We're making this up because we wanted to start this new movement thing, this new movement Jesus thing, this church thing. It was just an idea. Peter, Peter was thinking we were having coffee, and Peter said this. And, you know, then John Mark was like, this is great. We can brand this. We'll use the cross. That'll be our thing, and we'll start marketing it around the world. They were martyred. They were killed for it. Because they were told by the religious leaders, renounce Jesus, shut up, stop preaching him. If you do that, we'll let you live. Do you know Peter was hung on a cross to die, but he said, I'm not worthy to be hung and killed like Jesus. Hang the cross upside down and crucify me that way, I'm not worthy. Do you know Peter had a wife and kids? Peter's one of the only disciples I know of that was married. Think about this. Who does that if it's a lie? Who does that if it's just like, hey, man, what if we say he rose? What if we hide the body and make it out to be this? Because these are some of the things that some of the people in secular universities, if you go to one, if you go to some liberal arts colleges, they're going to challenge you with this stuff. They're going to say this to you. It's a farce. Why would they die for that? Why would they die a martyr's death? So in 11th grade, after that preacher got done preaching that story about Jesus, what I just told you guys, it was weird because I heard it my whole life, but that day in chapel, it wrecked me. It wrecked me, man. And I was like, 
I got to give God my life. I knew it. I knew God was speaking to my heart. And I didn't know what any of my high school was going to do. I was sitting with my friends from the football team, the wrestling team, and my girlfriend was right, right beside me. And he got to the end of his message, and I knew he was going to ask people if they wanted to come up and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I knew he was going to do that because he was one of those old school Southern Baptist preachers. I knew what he was going to do because I was raised in those kind of churches. He didn't even get to that part, and I stood up. My friends were looking at me. They're like, dude, don't. Jason, I hope you're not messing around. They gave me that look like, you better not be doing, joking around. That dude's going to flex his peck. He's going to knock you out. I looked at my girlfriend. I said, excuse me, watch out. Looked at my friend. I said, watch out, watch out, watch out. I didn't care if anybody else in my high school was being impacted by God. I was being impacted by God. You said, well, were you, you were going to go pray a prayer to ask Jesus in your heart? No, I already done that 3,000 times. Here's what I was going to do. Here's what changed my life. I was going to give God control of my life. I was going to say, I'm yours. All my broken, messed up junk, my addictions, the stuff I'm ashamed of, you take control. You fix me. I'm yours. I'm here to follow. You're in, char you're in charge. You see, that's what it means when the Bible says to be saved, you got to call on the name of the Lord. You're calling him leader. And I did it that day. I knew that when I did it that day, I was going to leave chapel and there was going to be changes in my life. I knew it. I remember going home, getting rid of a bunch of junk that I was hiding in my room. I cleaned house. I remember I started going to church on my own. I had a truck that my brother had given me. I was in 11th grade. My brother said it was a Wednesday night. He said, where are you going? What's that in your hand? I said, it's my Bible, man. What else? It's my notebook. It's my pen. Where are you going? I'm going to that youth group thing at the church. Man, I've been trying to get you to go to that for years, telling you you need it. Well, now I want to go. My brother looked at his, his girlfriend at the time and was just like, what is going on with him? They went down to my room, and they saw that my room, all the walls were bare. Every poster of bikini models and lingerie models, all my... My music that was very violent, hardcore music, I cleaned house. No one told me to. I didn't have to. There was something going on in my heart where God was like, clean it up. Let's go. I had this new desire going on. I started cleaning up, man. I'll tell you more about it tomorrow night, but there was a process. Hey, listen, and don't get me wrong. I got to say this before we end tonight and we bring you guys to the crossroad to make a decision. I've been a Christian about 25 years now. That was my junior year. It's 25 years, about 25 years later. I know I'm old. But listen, it hasn't been like this. Like if you could do one of those charts, it hasn't been like Jason became a Christian, and man, he got so much better. He became awesome. It looks like this. I've had to go to counseling. I'm not saying all of you have to do that, but y'all heard my story. I got issues. I had to go to counseling. I had to go to therapists. I had to meet with my youth pastor. He became my biggest mentor in my life constantly. I still have mentors in my life. I still am in a recovery group. I'm still working through things. But here's the thing. Here's what you're looking at. You're not looking at the same Jason from 11th grade because y'all wouldn't have liked me. Girls, you wouldn't have liked me at all. Because you were nothing but an object. Guys, all I wanted to do is be better than you and show you I was better than you. 
compete with you, take it outside, whatever you want to do. I'm the best. I'm the man. I'm the man. I was a jerk. I was a liar. You wouldn't have liked me. I could tell you this. I'm not the man I totally want to be or I'm going to be when I get to heaven, but I'm not the same guy I used to be. And that's what you can have tonight. This could be the beginning where you say, I surrender. I give my life to Jesus. And he comes in you, and he begins to change you from the inside out. Let's bow for prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody messing around. Please don't be talking to anybody. Don't be fiddling with stuff right now. This right here is the most crucial, important moment of what we're doing this week. Man, from the music to the skits to the videos to the things I've been saying to the small group time with your counselors, I walk by some of you doing that. I hear the stuff you're reading and saying. You guys have heard the greatest message in the universe. God loves you. God wants you back. And all you have to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ, his son. But to place your faith in him, that means you give up control. That means you say, Jesus, I'm making you the leader of my life. If God has been working in your heart this week, and he's pulling at your heart, and you know that you need to do that, and you've never done that, you say, man, I need to, I need to hammer that down right now. I'm going to ask you just right where you're at to stand up and publicly say, I give my life to Jesus. Just stand up right where you're at. I want it. I'm giving my life to Jesus. Stand up. Declare it. I give my life to Jesus. You're not telling me. If you need to close your eyes, Talk to him. The Bible says Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He's listening right now. If you need to say that with your head bowed, your eyes closed, those of you that are standing up, Jesus, I give you control of my life. Just give it to him. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, cleanse me with your blood. Cleanse me. Make me clean of everything bad I've done. Jesus, come into my heart and make me a new creation. Jesus, give me the power to live differently, to live the way you want me to. I give you control. Jesus, when I fall, pick me back up and help me to keep going. All you guys standing up, I want you to look at me. Romans chapter 10 in the Bible says that if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and with your mouth, you call on the name of the Lord like you just did. The Bible says you will be saved. What does it mean to be saved? 
Heaven is your home now. God lives in you. All of your sins are forgiven. You're part of God's family. Young ladies, you're his daughters. You're his princesses. Guys, you're his sons. You're his warriors. Ladies, you can be warriors too. And he's calling you to fight. Because it's going to be hard to be a Christian. You think everybody else at your school, you you think they're the rebels? You think they're doing something that's hard? They go with the flow. They do what everyone else does. That's easy. That's boring. Yawn. That's played out. To follow Jesus and to live different, that's a fight and a struggle. I know some of you, you long for a fight. That's why you're into some of the video games you're into. That's why you like some of the movies you like. Some of you girls, that's why you like Hunger Games. You, you dream about being Katniss. Be her spiritually. Fight. Be part of this movement. Be different. Are we going to fall as Christians? <laughs> yes. But we get up. We get up. We say one more round. You guys are going to have some alone time with God right now to do what you need to do. I know that we say, God, forgive me of my sins, but as we do this alone time, if you need to just be alone with God outside for a little bit and you actually want to name those things, I told another camper to do that. I said, go for a walk and flush it out like like it's a septic pipe. Flush out the crap. He said, what do you mean? I said, name it. Name everything that you're like, God, I am sorry. Forgive me. Cleanse me of and name it. Name it. Get it out. And then declare, the blood of Jesus has made me clean. The blood of Jesus has made me new. Let yourself hear it and let every kind of enemy, demonic force that could be around, let them hear it. Tick them off because you're free. You're free, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. Look around. Look what God's done this week. This is crazy. Everybody yapping about your generation, about how bad you guys are, how they're worried about the future of America. Oh, man, this excites me. Warriors rising up, fighting the fight going to live for the true king, going to take the hits, keep getting up. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've done this week. Thank you for working in the hearts of these teenagers. God, all of us, were here, the ones that are standing, we're standing up because we know we got issues. We know we got bad stuff in our life. We know we've done bad things, things we're ashamed of. We need you, God. Us standing up, Father, This is our way of saying, even me, again, saying again, I give you control because every time I try to take control, I screw things up. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you for what you went through. In your name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.